Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Randy Mitchell. Jesus said to his disciples, Ye are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Salt and Light confronts the difficult and often controversial issues that affect today's culture. The only hope for this generation is for more people to follow Jesus Christ and for his followers to be salt and light in their community. Pastor Randy will discuss the Bible solutions to help us know what God says about the problems we face today. Salt and Light is a ministry of Temple Baptist Church in Statesville, North Carolina. Here's your host, Pastor Randy Mitchell. Good morning and welcome to Salt and Light. You are going to be so glad that you tuned in this morning. We have a great show for you here today. I am joined by a very special guest, my lovely wife, Lynn Mitchell. How are you today, Lynn? I am great and good morning to everyone. Yeah, thanks for uh, being willing to be with your husband on Salt and Light broadcast. I always enjoy when I'm able to have you here as uh, a co-host and uh, we've had some good times together in the past and got a great subject uh, that I believe personally is going to be a huge help to our listeners. I know uh, we're going to be talking about some things that we've been uh, talking about. Uh, We've been praying about some things that the Lord has been showing us. And, you know, folks, anytime you go through a, if you're a Christian, we go through times where we grow. And uh, most of the growth takes place in the valley, not on the mountain peaks. You know, that's... uh, Unfortunately. Unfortunately. And so we just, we go through some times that aren't always pleasant. Uh, Sometimes God has to dig down deep into our heart, our life, our soul. We start seeing things as we get older that we didn't see when we were younger. It's all part of the process, and it's not always pleasant, but I am thankful that God is merciful and faithful and i'm just glad that god's still speaking in my life and still working on me and it's just a joy to be able to go through that uh, go through life together and i appreciate you that um, uh, as a wife that we have christian fellowship and we're able to serve the lord together and and uh, talk about these things together and that's just a huge joy and so uh, we're going to be talking about that but before that a little bit of small talk here because i have it in my notes that we always start out the broadcast with some small talk i asked you how you were you said you're doing great so anyhow i do want to um we have the last really four broadcasts we have been really talking up our master club program at temple baptist church and we had our very first Uh, master club this past week and i'm telling you it went great we had a great turnout we had some uh, visitors that came we'd love to have more visitors Uh, we we had a master club is such a great program our kids grew up in it and they learned a lot not just biblically but also character wise in their lives the things they still apply today i know and brother max robinson and his wife rachel they have taken the the leadership and i could i could tell uh, last Wednesday, uh, just that uh, they're they're going to do a great job. You were responsible, you and our daughter Anna, in starting our Master Club program a number of years ago at Temple Baptist, and so I know you've got a heart's um, burden and a care for the Master Club program. And so let's just get your perspective for our parents out there that maybe they don't have a church that's got a midweek. Uh, service or a midweek program, something for kids. What what would you tell these parents why they ought to bring their kids to our master club? Well, when you and I grew up, we did Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, 
um, we had clubs, and it was a very different day. <laughs> it was <laughs> not it the was, same. But, but I enjoyed that so much, and being a part of something, and it's very important for kids to interact with other children spiritually, not only just at school. And so, um, well, the kids they learn, like I said, biblically, they're learning verses. Now I know our kids start out in Awana, and a lot of you are familiar with that, but. Master Club takes it a little further in that they teach kids um, character also, and they, they're they doing things for their pastor. How many times yeah. have you got cookies because of Master Club? That's that's the reason we have Master Club <laughs> yeah, instead of Awana, because I get cookies once. No, I'm just joking. No, but there's so many aspects that it helps kids in their lives, but it also takes a little bit of help from the parents to make sure the kids are doing that, and the leaders work with them, and, and um, they stay close, and it just is a great program. It's a great program. But also, I wanted to mention that it's not just about the program, it's about the people, it's about the leaders. I I grew up in churches, you, you mentioned Awana, our kids were in Awana when they were younger, and then the church we were in switched to Master Club for some very, uh, I believe, significant reasons. But then when I go back to when I was a kid, I, I was in Boy Scouts a little bit. But the church that I was in had a program for uh, boys called Royal Ambassadors, and it was a good program. But the problem is, is I was in churches where the people that were running the program, really all we would do is we would meet on Wednesdays and we'd talk about what we're going to do, but we never would do anything. And so it really it all comes down to the people. And so our Master Club program is a fabulous program, but above that, we've got some people, some leaders who truly genuinely care about kids and are trying to do everything we can to help bring kids to Jesus Christ, make disciples of them, teach and train them how they can be servants of Jesus Christ as well. And so if you don't have uh, something like that for your children, you ought to go on our church website. You can register your children uh, you can just show up at Temple Baptist Church at 7 o'clock on Wednesday night, bring them in. Uh, you can drop them off or you can stay for the Bible study. It's entirely up to you. We want to be a help and a blessing to your children. This program is so good, they will not be disappointed. I know. It's, uh, the, the kids, we could tell that they had a great time. And so uh, uh, we, we uh, beseech you, as the Bible says, <laughs> we beg of you. Uh, get involved in this. Bring your kids to our Master Club. You'll be glad that you did. Well, we need to get into our topic, so we've almost taken the entire segment, but what we've been talking about is already important. But our topic today, we're going to talk about something that is so important, and uh, we'll, uh, there's different aspects of what we're going to be talking about, but primarily we're going to be talking about family. Right. The word family. Scary. It's, <laughs> it's either scary. I, I, I mentioned this to our church the other night. Uh, just the, the concept of family either evokes precious memories or debilitating trauma <laughs> or anything in between or a so variety true. of everything and all of the above. And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about a family in the Bible. Uh, you've heard of Jacob. Jacob was Abraham's grandson. Uh, Abraham had Isaac, and then Isaac gave birth to two sons, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob, uh, whose uh, future, God changed his name to Israel. So 
the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, God's people, got their name from Jacob. And so that's the history of the children of Israel and of God's family. And we would have to say, even though it's technically not so, but we would have to call Jacob's family a quote-unquote Christian family because they were God's people. Right. And even though in the Old Testament we wouldn't call them Christian because that was before Jesus Christ, but they were still God's people. And so if we could kind of use them and just liken them, I, I think that it's scriptural to say this was God's people, so they would be a Christian family today. And you know what? I want to say this, Lynn. Um, we've talked about it, but do you know if you read in the Bible, we don't find any perfect example of a Christian family in the Bible. We find some good principles, some good examples, and some bad examples, but nowhere does God give the model Christian family for us to pattern ourselves after. I think there's a reason for that. We'll talk more about it here after the break. Welcome back to Salt and Light. I'm Pastor Randy Mitchell, joined by my lovely wife, Lynn Mitchell. We are talking about the family. And uh, I mentioned before the break that God does not give any perfect example in the Scripture of a perfect Christian family. And I've often wondered about that as a pastor. Of course, uh, as I've already said, God gives us some principles. Uh, God gives us some uh, examples of good things, some examples of bad things, but nowhere do we find the perfect family to model our homes and families after. And I think there's a reason for that, and, and we'll talk about that certainly by the end of the broadcast. But uh, we're focusing our uh, talk today, the things that we want to bring out that I believe will be helpful about family, is Jacob and his family. Now, Jacob as I have said, he was the one of two sons of Isaac and Rebekah, and he was, Jacob was mama's favorite, and Esau was daddy's favorite. They were both very different men, and some have said that Jacob was a mama's boy. I, you know, I look at Jacob, there was nothing effeminate about him. There was nothing soft. He just had different qualities. Esau was this hairy, masculine, great hunter, and that were, those were the things that Isaac valued, and uh, Mama valued some very different things, but the bottom line is Jacob was the one who had a desire for God, and with all of his faults and failures, and they were many, Jacob certainly had a passion to, to know God, to experience God's blessings, and for what other what other whatever reason, God valued that, and God blessed Jacob, and God chose Jacob. But uh, Jacob grew up in a home where playing favorites was a common thing, and then he fled from Esau, his brother, and found himself in, um, in Mesopotamia. He, he ended up at the, the homestead of his brother, or excuse me, his uncle Laban, it'd be his mom's brother, and um, and he saw Rachel and he fell in love with Rachel. And Rachel had an older sister named Leah. The Bible says that Rachel was beautiful and well-favored. It says that Leah was tender-eyed. 
Now, I've heard preachers say that Leah was homely. Uh, personally, I don't believe that. I think that Leah was probably plenty attractive, but in comparison to her sister Rachel, it just wasn't even worth talking about. Rachel was very attractive. Jacob fell in love with Rachel. He worked seven years for Rachel's hand in marriage. And get a load of this. If you've never read this story, folks, on the wedding day, the custom was that they'd have their feast and all of that. And then the the dad of the daughter would bring the daughter and she would go into her husband's tent and then they would you know, they would be together that night and consummate the marriage. Well, this was in a tent. It was dark. Jacob wakes up the next morning. It's not Rachel. I still haven't figured that one out. <laughs> it's Leah. It's, I know, but, but I mean, how, do, how does a man not know? You think he would know, but he didn't. Yeah, I, I guess that's something that uh, we'll, we'll, we may never figure that one out. Yeah, how do you think Leah felt during that? Because she knew it was deceptive, Yeah, and well, she knew he didn't know. But I think that there was some things that, I think that Laban thought he was doing Leah a favor. At the time, I think maybe Leah had hoped that, hey, this is going to be good. This is a way that I can finally... Um, get the better of my sister because everybody doted over Rachel. Everybody just kind of probably ignored Leah. She, she was always playing second fiddle. And so she thought, hey, this is my opportunity to, uh, to get the better of my sister. Well, the whole thing backfired. The next morning, Jacob says to Laban, his father-in-law, what did you do? And the fact of the matter is Jacob had just connived his brother out of his birthright and blessing by deceiving his own dad. And so you'd think, why would Jacob be so shocked that somebody could do such a thing when he had done the same things himself? It had to hit home. Uh, You would think as soon as he realized it it had to hit home, if he had any conscience at all. Well, you would think, but the scripture doesn't, doesn't give us at that point the scripture doesn't indicate. Now, there are some indicators later on that tell us that Jacob did come full circle and realize it. When he was going back to the land of Canaan and he, the angel met him that night on the other side of the river, uh, the first thing that God said to Jacob is, what is thy name? Mm-hmm. Well, the last time that Jacob got asked what his name was, he said, my name is Esau. He lied, and he said he's his oh. brother. So that's significant. Boy, isn't God clever. God knows. Yeah, God is very <laughs> clever. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't know if it really, if he realized it the next morning. But the fact of the matter is, is what goes around comes around. And so often in families, um, we find that the hurt that we cause will eventually become the hurt we experience. Or the hurt we experience often in families becomes the hurt that we cause. And we call it the vicious cycle. And so often as we look back at our parents and our grandparents and then we look at our children, in families we see cycles. And sometimes there are good cycles, but more often than not because Uh, We are all sinners, and we all make mistakes, and we all go through tough times in life, and it and it just bleeds over onto our our loved ones, and it affects them. 
these vicious cycles uh, come in life. And you end up with family strife, with family competition. You know, he had Jacob competing with his brother Esau. And then when he, he ended, and he did end up with Rachel, uh, you know, a week later, Laban said, okay, I'll give you Rachel too, but you got to serve me another seven years. But he didn't make Jacob wait another seven years. And so now all of a sudden, a little over seven years into this whole ordeal, now Jacob has Leah and Rachel. And that started this big comp- competition between the two. And, um, and, and it just, it really ended up making Jacob miserable. Leah was miserable. Rachel was miserable. And the whole thing just snowballed into a bunch of dysfunction because they were all doing what came natural rather than following the Lord. They should have known better. You even mentioned before that polygamy was not frowned upon by God necessarily, or it wasn't forbidden, but it, it, the results of it could produce problems. Well, let, let, me, let me rephrase that. Uh, God never anywhere in the Bible condones polygamy. Mm-hmm. But in the culture in Bible days, it happened. It was common. Because keep in mind in the Old Testament, even the children of Israel, them being God's people, it was a new thing, and they're living in the midst of pagan culture, and so it became something that was so common. God never condoned it, but um, he, he did he say, look, this it? is going to happen. Uh, well, yes and no. Jesus defined it that it was God's will for one man to marry one woman. And so there, there's kind of some question marks in there, but the bottom line, God never condoned it, and they should have asked the Lord. They should have said, God, what do you want me to do? And Jacob never did get to that point because Jacob was totally obsessed with what he wanted. And oftentimes we can get what we want in life, but it doesn't bring us fulfillment and happiness. And this happens within the, the home, the family, um, even a Christian family, and we get so obsessed with what we want or what we think that we want that we don't stop to say, hey, God, what do you want? You know what's best for me. And so the whole thing just snowballed into this vicious cycle, and the competitive spirit is groomed in today's culture and mindset. Everything about us, and, and I'm not against competition. I, I, like, I grew up playing sports, and I love sports. I love to compete. But in today's culture, competition has become really the, the only thing that's, that's used in child raising. And so what happens is people go into their adult life with a competitive spirit, and it just carries, it, it, it bleeds over into everything in life. And it's not, it's not a good quality when it comes to family relationships. I think children even get caught up in that when there's separation or divorce between parents it becomes a competition which parent they like best. So the parents experiencing rejection and the kids having to deal with emotions that they shouldn't be at that age. That they don't have the maturity right. to deal with. And so they're, oftentimes it's not with malice, it's just a survival mechanism kicks in. Right. I guarantee you, Rachel and Leah, a lot of it was just survival mechanisms kicking in. Same thing with even Jacob. We, they made mistakes, and the mistakes caused hurt. It affected other people. 
and then they just, everybody goes in survival mode and the dysfunction just becomes this vicious cycle and something's got to break that cycle. Now, here's a Bible principle that I think will help you in your home, and we'll talk more about this here after the segment uh, ends, but Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Now, this is not having a competitive spirit. This is not playing favorites. This is about being Christ-like. And he goes on to say, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Homes today and families are all about this struggle of who's going to get their way. I even see, Sister Lynn, that in husband-wife relationships, we know that the Bible teaches an authority structure, that the husband is supposed to be the head, the wife is supposed to be in subjection. But I see Christian husbands that take and and twist that principle, and they say, well, the Bible says this, so that means that, that the man always gets his way. That is not what it's teaching at all. It's teaching that the man is responsible to lead and to follow the Lord. It doesn't mean that he selfishly gets his way. We see it in Christian culture all around us, that uh, men misuse that, and then the women, they, don't, they, they, they end up resenting what the Word of God allegedly says, but it's being twisted. It's not the way that yeah, God... Yeah, if you, if you want to see a woman tremble or get nervous, just bring up that subject. And it just depends on her husband, how he interprets it, and then um, how their marriage is, whether it's good or bad. Right, because it ends up being, here's a good principle that's the way that God designed things to be, but people end up using it selfishly. And, uh, you know, women should not resist. All right, folks, we are talking about the family this morning and particularly breaking family cycles, breaking dysfunctional family cycles. And we've all experienced uh, no one had the perfect family. Uh, I'm glad that I had good parents. I know uh, Lynn, you had good parents and uh, have so much to be thankful for. But none of us had perfect homes growing up. None of us, uh, you know, we're parents, our, our kids are, are grown and out of the home, and we can certainly look back and say that our children did not grow up in a perfect Christian home. Uh, we all have our, uh, our faults and our failures and our sins and shortcomings, and no matter how hard we try and no matter how good our intentions are, uh, we still fall very, very short. And sometimes... Uh, how we're meaning to come across isn't always perceived the way that it was intended. And um, a lot of this creates family cycles going in the wrong direction. We've been talking about Leah and Rachel and in the Bible, and Leah, um, Leah was the less attractive of the sisters, but she was the older one. Rachel was the one that everybody loved and liked because she was so good-looking. And Jacob who ends up being the husband of both of them. The Bible says that he loved Rachel more than Leah. And then it says that God looked down upon these two, and God um, ended up opening up the womb of Leah. She began to have children, and Rachel didn't have any children. And so Rachel's all, she's all fretting about this. She's blaming Jacob for it. 
she says, give me children lest I die. And Jacob is like, who do you think I am? God, I can't, I, I can't do this. This is, don't take it up with me. So Rachel's, you know this is bleeding over into the home. You know this is affecting Jacob when he comes back out of the from work after tending all of the flock I mean, of his. Sometimes he didn't want to come home. Well, you know what? You follow. He was out there all night. I guarantee you, there were times he didn't. And you know, we can read between the lines as you read in Genesis twenty-nine and Genesis thirty. That's absolutely true. There were times where he probably didn't want to come home. It sometimes it had to be bliss, though. Two women craving your attention, wanting. Um, your acceptance, but I bet at times it was just terrible. Yeah, not only like we said last segment, um, polygamy is not condoned by God, but it's really, really dumb. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, why would anybody want to, yeah, anyhow, I better be careful, you're right here. Yeah, you better be careful, I I might have to hit you right here. I got enough on my plate, enough to handle with just one, but... uh, not that it's uh, it's certainly worth it, but uh, how'd I do it? I get out of trouble. Yeah, you got out of it. So Leah, Leah gets in this mode where she's having children, and she keeps thinking that if I have one more kid, my husband will love me. And it's called performance-based acceptance. She she was rejected. She felt rejected, and she kept thinking that if I just do a little bit more than my husband will accept me. And it never happened. She lived her whole life in just frustration and futility, thinking that she could perform enough to gain acceptance. And that ought to tell us that acceptance and love in a family, when when it starts becoming about performance and conditional, it, it never does bring any fulfillment. It never does help break the cycle. It just perpetuates that cycle. Now, I know some parents, or excuse me, some children grow up in homes where there are some extremes. I, I, I can say this about my own father. Uh, I, I've heard from his testimony and from, from others that he grew up in a very strict type of environment. Um, his father, my grandpa, was very, very hard, grew up during the Depression, and so he was very hard on my dad. And uh, so my dad reacted to that, and I can look back and say he was probably way too lenient on me. And then I remember looking back. Your mom made up for it, though. Well, she did. She did, yeah. Mom mom definitely uh, put the fear of God in me more than dad did. But, But dad emanated acceptance and approval. And you remember when dad was killed in that accident, it took me... Uh, 14 months, almost a year and a half to get through that, and I didn't understand what was going on uh, in my in my heart, in my spirit. I was struggling, and the reason is because I had a source of security and acceptance that was just ripped out of my life, and I I didn't know it. I didn't know it was there until it was gone, and I had to I had to figure that out. It took some time, and it took God working. But we all have parents sometimes too lenient, sometimes too strict. And oftentimes, uh, I have seen people do this. I'm not going to be like my parents. And eventually, they end up being just like their parents. I've also seen where it's like, I'm not going to be like my parents. And they end up overreacting and doing just the opposite and being too soft or too harsh or whatever. You're not going to break those family cycles by focusing on 
what we're not supposed to be or to overreacting to something. Really what happens is you don't break the cycle, you just reverse the direction. The polarity changes, but you're still on the hamster wheel, not going anywhere, and you're not solving any problems. You're just repeating different mistakes instead of the same ones, but you still have a bunch of family dysfunction. And that's exactly what's gonna happen in a home where you have blame going on, where you have a competitive spirit, where uh, you have um, you have playing favorites and so forth, and you're never going to break that cycle by focusing on that. And what I see, we've seen, we've talked about this, this younger generation, instead of looking back and being thankful for what they had in their parents, we see a lot of blame game going on, a lot of victimization. And it has become so common where people won't accept responsibility for their own behavior, for their own problems. And so they have to look back and find something real or perceived that was wrong or deficient in the home that they grew up in and the parents that they had. And it's almost like, well, I have a built-in excuse to behave however I want. I can blame it on my parents. And we're seeing that so common and uh, the problem is is it just creates more and more dysfunction and the cycle just continues yeah sometimes we we tend to blame especially children um, that have very hard parents uh, where they discipline or there may be even a negative atmosphere where you they're always critical of you and you're always trying to perform and and please your parents but sometimes that you know it makes us who we are we we have to look at something in it that we should be thankful for and if you notice the most successful people didn't have it easy growing up they there was some negativity in their life that they had to rise above to become successful or more diligent in everyday things that they do yeah and that's where uh, and listen folks i know that there are some people i look back at the home that i grew up in it wasn't perfect but i had good parents and i have a lot i have so much more to be thankful for than i have to be critical of now when i was a younger man i seemed to focus on the critical things well that was because i was foolish i was arrogant I had all of my theories down, I had it all figured out, but then something happened that really messed up my theories. It's called reality. <laughs> reality and children. That's right. Yeah. I actually, God, got, God took me off of the couch and put me in the game. And you find out that, you know what, uh, your theories are good, principles are good, but the reality, uh, life is not as easy as it is on paper. And until you go through some things, it's it's very difficult to fully understand them. When and something just recently that I've realized, because I'll have to admit I played the blame game. Some things that hurt me, things my parents said, or and everybody does. It's not just my parents. but And things that I've done as a parent to um, hurt my children. And you just think that you're just being a parent and you can... You have a free pass because you're a parent, you know. But you don't mm -hmm. think about being sensitive to your children's needs that way. Um, but but I've realized that um, my mom and dad did the best they could with the tools that they had and what they knew to do. 
And I am so thankful for that because I had good parents. And I can't focus on what, as you get older, you know the things that they've done wrong. Because I remember the first time that I realized that my dad could make a mistake. I, I vividly remember that because I always put it on such a pedestal. Mm-hmm. And it's like when you get to a certain age, you realize your dad's not infallible. Yeah. And and it's such a reality, but that's life. That's that's human nature. Everybody makes mistakes. That's why families are, you know, you have the it's a little bit of hassle when you have little babies and you have little kids and but it's way more blessing than it is hassle, you know, for all of the diapers you have to change for, you know, staying up all night. They're they're so cute and adorable and for the most part they 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 do whatever you tell them to do and they, they think that you're perfect and you get we get nothing but acceptance from our children when they're young. And then they get older and they start developing minds mm-hmm. of their own. And then at, that's usually when, when families start having problems is as the kids get older. And, you know, we, we care about our children's character. We want them to, we want to prepare them for life. But sometimes we don't realize how they're perceiving all of that. And we're trying to, you know, I think tough love is an absolute essential in the Christian home, in parenting. But sometimes kids don't always or seldom understand that tough love. One more thing on acceptance, though. I did not realize that my mom and my dad needed acceptance from me. It was something that I always thought that I was the kid, they're supposed to give me acceptance. But as we get older, we realize that parents need acceptance from their children also, and it might create a better environment for both the, the adult child and the parent. You know, and that, that is a fabulous point, and that is a key in breaking the family cycle. You know, rejection produces rejection. You know, hurt produces more hurt we've said it all along hurting people hurt people and so sometimes these hurts are perceived we have to deal with that but sometimes they're very real and there are ways that we can break those cycles but rejection or disapproval is never the way we there's going to be disapproval in the family we lived with with one another we know more about one another and so disapproval is going to be part of the family experience but the family experience also needs to have plenty of acceptance and approval. And the bottom line, we'll talk in our last segment, we're going to talk about this, and that is patterning ourselves after God's example, not reacting or overreacting to what we experience, not being a victim, uh, not being hard-hearted, having tough love, but also having tender love. These are all essential things. We'll talk more about it here after the break. Stay tuned. All right, we're talking about breaking negative or dysfunctional family cycles. Last segment, we ended talking about acceptance or rejection. These are all part of life. We're all going to experience that in one form or another, whether it's at home or at school or at work. It's part of life. Folks, everyone has some basic emotional needs. We all need love. We all need security. 
We all need approval and acceptance, and we all need character. And, you know, as, as parents, we care about our children, and we want them to have character, and instilling that character in them is a very important thing. And we know from experience that sometimes instilling character may come across as perceived disapproval. Sometimes we're having to correct um, bad behavior or bad uh, character flaws, and so uh, sometimes it's not perceived the way that it needs to be. Well, acceptance, you know, there's a conditional acceptance and then there's an unconditional acceptance. And before we go any further with our experience and what we've learned as parents and as children, I want to get uh, some Bible truth in here. Ephesians chapter 1, verse number 6 says, To the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Did you get that, folks? If you are a Christian, if you are saved, Jesus is your Savior the Bible teaches us that we have been accepted in the Beloved, not because of our performance, not our good works, not anything that we've done, but because of what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary. Now, being accepted in the Beloved, the Beloved is the highest level acceptance that God can give. So we're in that club. We're a member of that group of people that God says, I accept you. That is unconditional acceptance, and there needs to be that security in our families, in our homes, that, hey, I'm never going to be rejected. God said, I'll never leave you or forsake you, and so thank God we have that from the Lord. Can I add a verse to that? I um, mean, Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whosoever putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Mm-hmm. So we, we do need, we desire man's approval and acceptance, but we don't always get it. And sometimes if we get it today, we don't have it tomorrow. Right. Men are fickle and men are sinners. And so, yeah, we seek that. But ultimately, I know this, it, it, days when I'm feeling rejected or other people's disapproval, well, our egos have a hard time with that. But if I can look past man and remember that, hey, God's okay with me. I'm accepted in the beloved. It, it helps me to minimize the importance. I've never gotten to the point where I truly, you know, sometimes we say, oh, I don't care what they think of me. Well, we're saying that because down deep we do. We're psyching ourselves out or, or basically we're saying, if I have to choose between the two, I'm going to do this whether they like me for it or not. And so we're making a conscious decision, but that doesn't mean on an emotional level that we don't care. If we didn't, we wouldn't even say it. We would just move on. But we do care. So God offers an unconditional acceptance, but here's another Bible verse that I think is important. This has to do with our closeness to him, our relationship, all right? It's founded on Jesus Christ. So we are accepted in the beloved, but 2 Corinthians 6, 17 says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. So God's saying, if you want to be close to me, then you, you can't be close to the devil's crowd. You can't be out there in the world and wanting them and still wanting to have a close relationship with me. So our fellowship with the Lord is conditional. 
He said, I'll receive you. And then he said, and I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. So there are two elements to life and the Christian life. There's a unconditional acceptance, but there's also a conditional. And that's the same way in our families. As moms and dads, we ought to emanate unconditional acceptance that, hey, I'm never gonna, never gonna reject you as a person, but there are certain things that you do. Your behavior will facilitate a close fellowship or, you know, you can't just put up with everything and accept it. We have to be parents with our children the same way that God parents his children. And it's a very important truth yeah, that we I need to understand. I hope you have make time for that quote that you gave last Sunday night. I, I love that. That just hit home. Okay. You want me to quote it? Yes, go I'll, ahead. I'll try. I have a portion of it right here. Okay. So listen to this, folks. We always view ourselves based on our intentions, but we view others by how their actions affect us. I don't know if I quoted that verbatim, but basically in the, in the home, oftentimes we just view ourselves how we intended to be. We might have had good intentions, but it came across different or it was perceived different. We have times where good intentions actually cause emotional hurt with our children. You know, our intention was, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to develop this in your life and sometimes how our intentions affect other people that's the way that they view them and that's why there's a lot of family problems is that we view others based we view ourselves based on our intent but we view them on how they make us feel and that's what creates that cycle of rejection rather than that cycle of acceptance that being the fact i think most of the problems come from miscommunication so if you had an intention to treat someone a certain way and you thought it was good and then they took it a different way then you need to communicate that if you do not communicate then it'll never be cleared up and there'll always be hurt feelings yeah and I, and I know I I'm guilty of this I I know my intentions and so sometimes maybe I'll say something that's taken wrong and rather than taking responsibility for it, I end up being defensive. And we spend all of our time wanting to be understood rather than spending our focus on trying to understand why the other person felt hurt by my actions or by my words. And sometimes we think that our children, that they know we love them, and so we say things that is actually, they're actually hurting them hurting their feelings or, or causing them some inner conflict, and we don't even realize that we are. And the same way with children. Sometimes they don't understand the parent's perspective. We think, we think that we totally understand our children's perspective, and in some ways we do because we've been there, but we've moved on, and we have a different set of pressures and responsibilities, and oftentimes we're living our life based on those pressures, and we forget what it was like to be a child. I, I've had many times that um, I've been around my family, and I've been reminded of stories of when I was growing up, and it's just like all these times, it's, I, don't, I don't think I was like that when I was a kid, but we were. Right. We, we just forget. Well, Lynn, we're about out of time here for Salt and Light. We've, we've had a great time and, and talking about family, and hopefully we've said some things that 
uh, will be help to our listeners. But I wanted to end with this. And, uh, folks, you never solve your personal or family problems by looking backward. You may be able to look backward in your life or your home, your family. It may help you see your problems, but it won't help you solve them. It's just like in the Bible. The Bible says that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. We can look back on our behavior, and the law of God says, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt. And we say, you know what, I messed up in these areas. The law will reveal our sinfulness, but the law can't fix us. Only Jesus Christ can. And so if you've got some uh, cycles in your family and as a parent or even as a child, and you're trying to break those cycles, you might want to reflect, be a little introspective, and look back at your parents, look back at your past, try to understand what the problem is, but looking back's never going to fix it. You have to look forward, and you have to look toward Jesus Christ. One more thought that is very important. Put your life in a mode that it's in portrait mode. A lot of you on your camera have that portrait mode where you're focusing on Jesus Christ, but everything else is in the background and is blurry where you can only see him. Yeah. Uh, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The Word of God has the answers, and if, you'll, if you want to figure out what your problems are, that's a good thing. Look in the mirror. Take a portrait of yourself. This, this is what I struggle with, but always remember that the solution is going to be found in Jesus Christ and in the Bible. We said at the beginning of the broadcast that God doesn't give us any perfect pattern or example of the Christian family. The reason being is because God knows that every single one of us are sinners. If we just try to example or pattern ourselves after another family, we're going to fall short. He wants us to look to him and him alone. The husband that I need to be, the dad I need to be, the man that I need to be, I'm never going to succeed by following another man because you follow him long enough, you're going to find faults and failures and deficiencies. But with Jesus Christ, that will never happen. It's been a great time together here on Salt and Light. We appreciate all of you for joining us. Uh, we would like to encourage you to stay tuned next week. And don't forget about Back to Basics every uh, Sunday at 10 a.m. And uh, be sure and tune in this Sunday. God bless you, folks. We appreciate you taking the time to join us at Salt and Light. It is our desire that you experience the joy of following Jesus Christ. He loves you, and He died on the cross for your sins. He will give you hope, peace, and eternal life if you will repent of your sins and trust Him as your Savior. You may see yourself as a good person, but you will never be good enough to deserve heaven. You may see yourself as bad, but you can never be too bad for Jesus to forgive you. You can call upon him to save you this very moment. If you are a born-again Christian, we want to encourage you to obey Christ's command and be salt and light to those around you. We encourage you to find a Bible-believing church that does not compromise or water down the Bible and get involved serving the Lord. If you have a Bible question or a particular issue you would like us to discuss on Salt and Light, visit our website at templebaptistnc.com. Click on the Salt and Light link. Once again, that's templebaptistnc.com. May the Lord bless you. We hope you'll join us again next week.